So the first reading is uh, on page 898 of the Church Bibles and it's Acts 16 starting at verse 6. So that's page 898. So starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And the second reading is from Philippians, chapter 2, page 952. So Philippians, chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on, not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, am, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. It would be great to uh, keep that passage open uh, as we look at it. More importantly, right now, I want to pray. Will you join with me in praying? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you you speak to us so clearly and powerfully that you meet us where we are and you transform us and encourage us and correct us. And so we ask this morning as we wrestle with what it looks like to be your people in this place at this time, we ask that you would uh, enable my words to be helpful and clear and faithful and for our hearts to be full of joy and obedience, that we would love to hear your voice and love to be changed to be more like the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Well, we're in the fifth and final week of our church mission series, and today we hit living. Uh, We've looked at grace, growing, serving, speaking, and today, living. And you can see uh, it on the front of your news sheet. Uh, It says there, uh, and living as as a member of the body of Christ, sharing the joys and challenges of life in the power of the Spirit and to the glory of God. Now, as we read that, I think it messes with us in a bunch of ways. Um, I think it works on us in a bunch of ways. Uh, The first and and really obvious one is we just feel exhausted. Uh, We look at a a big statement like that and we think, I I just don't have the time and the energy and the headspace, the bandwidth to deal with something that big. And the second way it kind of impacts us is perhaps more heartbreaking and tragic. It's that doubt and scepticism that wells up in us that says, I'm not really sure it's worth it. Like I could pour out my life uh, amongst God's people in service and generosity, but I'm just not sure it's going to be worth it. And then alongside all that burning deep within us uh, is this longing for there to be more to life, for, for our life together as God's people to be rich and full of joy. And so we've got exhaustion, We've got scepticism and longing all together. We're really complicated people, aren't we? But if the Apostle Paul was here, now I reckon he would say, I-, I get that. I've wrestled with that. And look at how he resolved it. Uh, second half of verse 15. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. Paul says we get sacrifice. 
We get pouring ourselves out for others. For Paul, it meant uh, hardship and sickness and hunger and beatings and prison. For Epaphroditus, as we just read, it meant that he got sick. He was working so hard for others and he nearly died. Uh, For Timothy, it meant that he was always thinking of other people, not himself. So, So they get sacrificed, they get pouring themselves out. But Paul says we're not masochists. We're not into pointless, wasted, meaningless, empty sacrifice. Now look at what we want, verse 16. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. That's good boasting, right? You know, there's good boasting and bad boasting. Uh, Bad boasting is what us Australians really hate. It's talking ourselves up, promoting ourselves, rating ourselves. And then there's good boasting. Uh, Good boasting is celebrating and rejoicing in what God has done through us. How he's used us to help others have joy and faith in Jesus. That's good boasting. And Paul wants that good boasting. He says on the day of Christ, when Jesus returns, he wants to be able to tell those wonderful stories of great Jesus moments in people's lives, of how God's used him to impact others. He wants to look at Lydia and say, Lydia, remember... That day by the river when we told you about Jesus and God opened your heart to Jesus. Do you remember? And he wants to look at the Philippian church. And if you've read the book of Philippians, you know that they were a thriving church. Prayerful, generous, courageous, faithful. And he wants to say, I remember when I was in prison and and I was lonely and sick and and full of doubts. but, But your faith gave me joy. That's what kept me going. Knowing that you were hanging on to Jesus. Paul wants to tell those great stories in heaven. So the question for us this morning is what stories will we tell in heaven? Because if we're really going to do life together, it's going to mean us, you and me, pouring out our most precious treasure. No, not our money. Something far more precious to us than that. Our time. Hours of time together, hours praying for each other, hours listening and serving and eating together. And what will make that worthwhile? If we get to tell great stories in heaven. Those great Jesus moments in each other's lives, the the impact that we had on each other's lives. And you know the wonderful thing? We can and we are writing those stories right now. Let me show you. Uh, if you're on the outline, it's uh, second point, work out life with the God who saves together. Have a look at verse 12. It says there, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's heavy, isn't it? You've got obey, um, you've got work out, you've got fear and trembling. And we live in a culture that loves personal freedom. Uh, Let me be me. Let me be true to myself. Let me explore and adventure myself. And and so no one wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, I would just love it if the government, my family, my boss, my church leaders would just give me more stuff to obey because I love to obey. Anyone pray that prayer this morning? No, (laughs) we don't pray that prayer. But uh, and so verse 12 feels heavy. Uh, But look at what actually says. Just as you've always obeyed, continue. So Paul's talking about Acts 16. When he came to them with the good news about Jesus, they obeyed. They put their trust in Jesus. And even after he moved on, 
they kept on obeying, and so he says, continue to work it out. And, and notice that work it out. It's not save yourself, not work for your own salvation, but work it out, grow in it, mature in it. I think the best, best example uh, of this is marriage. Uh, for the married people here, um, anyone put up their hand if you find marriage easy, like really easy? <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Tracy might have a different story. Yeah. <laughs> you have to work it out and mature in it. Um, one of my roles here at Norwest is to meet with uh, engaged couples as they prepare for marriage. And this is moment as we do preparation when we're talking about how, you know, marriage isn't like dating. Like your relationship's going to need to change. It, it, it won't be date night every night. And you're going to need to grow and change in your relationship over time. And, and they say, yep, yep, we know that. But you can see in their eyes that they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's not going to be true for us. <laughs> we're in love. We'll never fight. It'll be date night every night. You know, it's just going to be. And then you see them six months later and you say, oh, how are things going? And, and they say, you know, Marriage isn't just like dating. Like, it's not date night every night, and we have had fights, and, and we, you have to work it out. And you think, really? If only someone had told you that beforehand, <laughs> that would have been helpful. You have to work it out and grow in it. But here's the thing that working it out doesn't make you any less married. It's a maturing and a growing in that relationship, and it's the same with work out your salvation. It's not save yourself, it's grow, mature in your relationship. But the really wonderful thing comes straight after verse 13, the reason that we work out our salvation, for because it is who? God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That is good news, isn't it? That God is at work in us. He doesn't say you work it out. He doesn't say you, I've saved you so now you work it out. No, he works in us, changing our hearts and our desires so that we want better things, we want good things. I am very aware of just how sinful and broken and selfish I am. I'm very aware of how far short of the, being the kind of man and husband and father and pastor that God needs me to be. I get monthly, weekly, often daily reminders of that. And so I am so thankful that God is at work in me. And I know it's true for many of you. And our joy is enlarged because we get to do this together. Over lunches and dinners, over runs and sport and walks to school and beers and coffees during the week, we get to encourage each other to keep on working out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to change you according to his good purpose. Gee, we're going to tell some great stories in heaven, aren't we? They say, Wayne, do you remember how Jesus saved us and he kept on working on us and changing us? They're going to be great stories in heaven, aren't they? And what about now? How do we see that now? Well, next point, we stop grumbling and we start shining. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, as I was preparing for today, I thought it would be really easy to make this about how you shouldn't grumble against your church leaders. Don't 
complain against Pete and James, a good rhyme to that, um, because it says so in the Bible, so stop it. You know, and, but that's not what it's talking about. There are passages in the Bible that encourage us in this way. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So there are passages that do encourage us to think about how we relate to our leaders, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. I think he's actually talking about grumbling against God. Why do I think that? Because verses 12 and 13 about our relationship with God, and then he moves straight into do everything without grumbling and arguing. And the little quote there in uh, verse 14 as well is almost a direct download from Deuteronomy 32, um, where we hear about Israel and their unfaithfulness. Um, Because you know the story, God rescued them out of uh, slavery in Egypt and he carried them on eagles' wings to himself and they complained. You read on in Exodus and Numbers and Israel complains and whinges and argues with God until they died. That's one way to stop complaining against God, isn't it? You die. I'm hoping there's a better way. And there is. It's that we trust and obey Jesus. And that's how we shine in this world, as we hold out and hold on to the word of life. Now, that's not blind faith. It's not never question anything. You read in the Psalms um, how people wrestle with with God. How long, O Lord? Where are you, Lord? And and there will be times of desperation when, when we cry out and we say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. If you're not here, I can't do it. As we've heard from Alison today, there are times when we need to gather around people and pour out that agony to others. So it's totally okay to doubt and to struggle. But here's the thing. There is a difference between asking questions and always questioning. There's a difference between working things out and thinking that we know better than God. There's a difference between wrestling with our faith versus thinking that God needs to convince us that he's right. The reason that so many of us will disobey God and mess up our faith is because we think we know better than God. But children of God pray, wrestle and listen to Jesus. And again, our joy is enlarged because we get to do that together. So there'll be times, if they haven't already come, they will come, when the load is too heavy for you when you just cannot carry it and you need brothers and sisters around you who will walk with you, pray with you, support you. And there'll be times when we're being fools, when we're making silly decisions, where we're drifting away from Jesus and we need people around us who will challenge us and push us. Not not bash us about, but say, you know, you don't have to live this way because Jesus is better. He's strong and he's forgiving. These will make for great stories in heaven, won't they? We'll say to each other, did you remember how Jesus saved us with all our mess and our brokenness and he worked on us and and he taught us to listen and obey, to trust him? Great stories. And then there's joy now as well. Joy of life together, perhaps. Verses 19 to 30, we see this wonderful friendship between Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, I remember when I was interviewing for the job here back in 2012, um, it was at the interview, and uh, one of our wardens, Mick Hall, asked me this question. 
He said, is there an image or a metaphor uh, from the Bible that really captures the heart of ministry for you? I said, that's a great question. It's always a good answer to give when someone asks you a question in the interview. But it was a really good question. Um, And the answer that I gave is here in this passage. Do you see how verse uh, 25, Paul talks about Epaphroditus? As my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier and other parts of the New Testament, it's it's fellow worker. And, And Timothy is like a son to Paul. There's this great fellowship and partnership in serving Jesus together. So imagine the stories that Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus will tell in heaven. Remember how we travelled the Roman Empire, planting churches, and we were hard-pressed, far beyond our ability to cope, but Jesus sustained us again and again, and many people heard about Jesus. Great stories. So here's the thing. Our life together will look different for each of us, depending on our life stage and situation and what's going on. But the centre, the passion, the heart of it will be the same. Jesus for life. So what stories will we tell in heaven? As Pete and I have been uh, thinking about this series for months now and praying, there has been something heavy on our hearts, a burden for this church. Because we don't want the stories that Norwest Anglican tells to be full of people who lived pretend lives, kept each other at arm's length, who attended church but never belonged, never found joy together. On Sunday night, I was at the newcomer's dinner for Chapel Lane uh, and it was a great night. I got a call from uh, a good friend. He's ringing to tell me that some other mutual friends of ours uh, who go to another church had just entered mediation for divorce. Devastating. It's one of those moments in life where you feel sick. And you're just so sick of the mess of life. And apparently, they have been struggling for years. But turning up to church and lunches and dinners and pretending everything was fine. And apparently now, it's all too late. If we scratch the surface of any church, of this church, we will find countless stories of private struggles, private nightmares, of depression and anxiety, of families struggling with finances, with parenting, men, women, marriages, families struggling, just, just barely hanging on. And yet we come on Sunday and we smile and we have a cuppa and we say, they're a bit tired, a bit busy, but I'm going okay. There is a veneer of fellowship in the hills, but the reality is different. There are people who have been partners at this church for many years now and they've only been invited into someone's home once or twice. That should worry us. They're not strange people. They're friendly, warm, generous people, lovely people, and yet they've only been invited in once or twice. That should worry us. So let's be done with polite, fake, middle-class Anglicanism. I want to plead with you to be known and to know. Not everyone, but some. Now, I know for some of us that's scary. It feels too vulnerable. Uh, We want to be private. But it's much better than the alternative. Some years ago, I was in a bloke's community group and we were doing, uh, as we met that evening, we were doing what we normally do. 
uh, we read the Bible and chatted about it, and then we shared prayer points. Um, busy with work, stressed with the kids, you know, sort of normal stuff. And, and then uh, one guy uh, said this, I'm struggling with internet pornography. Every time my wife is out, I'm downloading and watching. Wow. Could have heard a pin drop. Courageous. Terrifying. And yet for him, a load was lifted as he was done with the lies and the secrecy and he could now start to get some prayer and help. And then this thing happened in the group where the floodgates opened and we all started opening up about our secret struggles. A paralyzing fear about being able to provide for our families of doubts about whether Jesus was really good and it was really worth serving him. On and on we went. So let's be done with polite, fake, middle-class Anglicanism. Let's be known and know. Because, friends, what stories do we really want to tell in heaven? Of how we mowed the lawns on Sundays and did the shopping and took the kids to the sport and fell asleep watching TV on the lounge of how we attended but never really belonged, never really found joy? Or do we want to tell stories of long, relaxed lunches on a Sunday, of our kids playing together and growing up following Jesus together, of times of hilarious laughter about life, of tears and prayers and walking together with Jesus? What stories do we want to tell? C.S. Lewis in the Narnia series finishes uh, in the last battle with a beautiful picture of heaven. He says it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. And then in the very last paragraph of the book, he describes what it's like to meet the glorified Aslan who represents Jesus. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning the chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It's a great picture of heaven, isn't it? What stories do we want to tell there? Where does it start? Very simply, next Sunday, walk across the room or walk across the deck, walk up to someone that you know, someone that you don't know, and say, lunch is at our place. Can you bring a bottle of drink and you bring a chicken and we'll see you there? It's that simple. Because what stories do we really want to tell in heaven? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has saved us and he is working on us to make us more like him. We want to confess this morning that we are so easily distracted. We know our own hearts and our proneness to wander and leave the Lord that we love. We feel it, Lord. We're so easily distracted by the things of life, the busyness and all that's going on around us. 
And so we so easily fall into living fake lives of keeping each other at arm's length. Lord, we really do want to write wonderful stories with our lives, stories that we'll celebrate in heaven when we see Jesus. So please, in spite of us, work on us and change our hearts that we would love better things, we would love good things, we would love Jesus' moments in each other's lives. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.